Hi, welcome back to the CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor with CIO Australia. Throughout 2020 and into 2021, we've heard of more and more organisations deciding to migrate all data systems and workloads into the cloud. It's a big step, especially given not so long ago there was a lively debate about the wisdom of having anything but the least sensitive, least critical data stored in a public virtual environment. As we heard in a previous episode of the CIO Show, experts feel that few organisations really need to keep anything on-premise these days except in certain cases where there's a regulatory and or compliance reason for doing so. But the other school of thought says the cloud shouldn't be thought of as a panacea to reduce costs and complexity, and that there are many serious questions CIOs and organisations need to answer lest they join the growing club of those feeling buyer's remorse after going all in. Now, our first guest is Jason Blackman, coming up for nearly 10 years as the Chief Information Officer for carsales.com.au and also the wealth of experience across utilities, finance, and government. Jason, welcome to the CIO Show. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, mate, um, carsales.com.au made, made a, certainly made some headlines and surprised a few people many, about five years ago or so, declaring that you would go cloud first, and then not long after it, declaring that you're going cloud only. It seems to be a decision that, that held you in good stead, especially when COVID hit. Can you talk me through a little bit about, you know, your, your reasoning for, for going, you know, cloud only, which is where you're at now. Yeah, sure. So cloud only for us was it was a natural evolution. Uh, you know, we, we we went cloud first. That meant that we were basically everything new that we were doing, uh, we would do in the cloud, and we would build in a cloud native fashion so that we could take advantage of everything that the cloud offered. And and we chose AWS as our provider. Yeah. And um and then moving to to cloud only sort of actually came about partly in 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 response to a lot of the back-end systems as well and thinking about uh, business continuity and disaster recovery and which as you mentioned has actually uh, stood us in good stead with regards to COVID because the cloud only meant that we would we would do absolutely everything in the cloud including you know our um, uh, CRM and our uh, ERP system and the likes are all all cloud um, only, and so therefore we were able to operate effectively uh, remotely right from day one in the in the COVID situation. And that was our, in part, our business continuity planning um, process was to ensure that our teams could operate effectively anywhere in the world, right? Um, with with nothing more than an internet cafe in, in essence. And so, I mean, the, the fact that you are an online business, did that in your mind make it easier to, um, you know, to go all in with the cloud? It's probably a rhetorical question. I suppose the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, yes, it, yes, it did. Uh, but, it, but you know, CarSales has been around since 1997, long before um, cloud even really existed uh, as we so know you, it today. You guys, you guys started out when there were still a lot of people using dial-up modems. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. I think ADSL only came out in Australia in '99, so yeah, that's right. Um, dial-up dial-up modems were indeed um, a thing. So yeah, so cloud wasn't around uh, when car sales began, and and so data centers and you know co-location and things like that was was the the order of the day. Uh, but transitioning from that to utilizing cloud made sense for us because uh, scalability. So we have a you know a very interesting load profile it's a, every day is a click frenzy uh, and so the cloud allowed us to, to minimize cost and maximize um, performance for our customers uh, by taking advantage of scale uh, on an on an hourly basis yeah 
Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, every day is a click frenzy. That's a very, very interesting way of describing it. No doubt, probably quite accurate also. And yeah, you, yeah. And so we we were speaking recently about um, you know the difference between doing a shift and a lift when it comes to moving from on premise to the cloud, and, and the difference between that and actually doing it. Um, being mindful and being careful that you're doing it in a cloud native way. Talk, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so there's, I mean, businesses have a number of choices, you know, going to the cloud. Um, we chose to go cloud native rather than lift and shift, uh, which meant that we needed to re-engineer all of our uh, our product uh, in order to take advantage of those um, cloud services, which is why we chose to go with one provider to simplify, um, you know, the learning curve and, and uh, the likes for our our people. But yeah, um, yeah so we, we made that decision not to do lift and shift, um, mm. purely on the basis that if we were to do lift and shift, then co-location actually made more commercial sense. Yeah. Um, you know, cloud is more, or for us anyway, it, it, it did, Tend to be more expensive on a on a per unit basis if you if you calculated it out that way. I mean, there are some other aspects. Even lifting and shifting to the cloud uh, does give some advantages, especially if you don't know what your you know forward estimates are for for um, you know hardware purchases and things like that. The cloud offers you the ability to instantly provision additional disk space and and things like that. So you get you get that flexibility of the cloud. Mm. Um, but we were. We we opted to go uh, full cloud native because that gave us the maximum uh, cost savings associated with the scale uh, of our business on a daily basis because our business does expand and contract uh, daily yeah. uh, in terms of traffic uh, flow and volume uh, and that's important so we we wanted to take advantage of that uh, and 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 really sort of deliver some value to our uh, to our customers in terms of performance meaning yeah. that. There'd be no drop-off in performance, but also um, maximise those cost savings for the business. So what, what were some of the key things that you learned along the way? I and mean, then were there any things that you do differently? Any specific advice for other CIOs out there listening who are sort of contemplating, you know, embarking on a similar cloud-only journey as the, like you've done? Well, we did it. We did it. We approached it two ways, uh, both top-down from the, you know, the board level. Uh, we, in essence, were... Uh, mitigating risk to the business. So, you know, that business continuity disaster recovery scenario. But then we also came from uh, bottom up where we engaged with our uh, development team and our operations team and security and and the likes and and basically had that group of individuals had the passion to actually go and and build these things without a sort of a a sort of a top-down mandate. It was sort of you know, they drove the, the cloud native adop- adoption, whereas from the top down, it was sort of more to do with minimizing risk to the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got the budget from the board, but they got the passion from the people. So um, that was the first approach. Yeah. Uh, and then the second, uh, or something that we um, we sort of made a mistake, I guess, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about, uh, do we go with one provider or do we have, you know uh, the risk aspect. Do we do we go with multiple providers? Now we opted in the end that uh, we would go with one, and and we we probably took too long to make that decision. And we were thinking about you know how do we engineer um, our products in order to work on multiple platforms, and that actually really held us back uh, for quite some time. 
But in the end, we decided to go with one purely on the basis that the commercial risk just wasn't there yeah. uh, in the end. You know, like um, there's so much competitive tension in the market that all we have to do is realistically have the ability to move some of our workload into another provider. We don't yeah. have to move all of our workload. Right. Um, and everything's so hyper-connected these days. Um, there's, there is actually no harm in having different workloads running in different um, cloud providers. Yeah. But from our point of view, that commercial risk of being all in with one and you know somebody jacking the prices up, there's so much competitive tension in the cloud services market now. You know, you've got Google, Ali Clouds, you've got uh, Microsoft, right. AWS, you know, and then there's Rackspace, IBM, and everybody else that's trying to get into cloud services um, right. rather than Colo. And there's just so much tension that you really don't have to worry about it. Yeah, well, that's it's, interesting. It's only getting cheaper. <laughs> it's only, it is only getting cheaper. Yeah. Look, one of the one of the um, uh, conversations I've had with CIOs over over the last while is um, and read about this quite a lot is that um, there, there's often been a lot of pressure from from the board for, within the C-suite to get the CIO on board. Um, in terms of cloud adoption, uh, often in, in in situations where you know these other executive CEOs, CFOs, for instance, might not really um, you know couldn't reasonably be expected to understand the technical nuances of doing such a, a big shift. And in your case, was it that you know that the board came to you and said, "Hey, Jason, we'd like you to investigate moving to the cloud," or was it the other way around, or a bit of a mixture of the two? No, it was it was definitely the other way around. So we took the cloud uh, proposal to the board, but it was more a it was more a solution to solve a risk problem. Why are we, you know, how two two problems actually. One one was um, the risk of uh, the data center. You know, we were we were actually when I started at Castells, we were actually only in one data center Adelaide. Um, so there was huge risk or business risk uh, associated with that data center um, being a single point of failure. But we were also starting our global journey. And so how were we going to take our product uh, overseas if we're located purely uh, from servicing our customers in Adelaide? Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, you know, we, we, we solved two problems with um, at the board level, uh, both the disaster recovery business continuity as well as uh, our ability to execute on a global strategy. That's interesting. And just going back to that, your your term, which I love, that it's a, a click frenzy every day. Mm-hmm. Can you give me yeah? Can you give me an idea about the sort of spectrum of um, of traffic like that you you have to deal with? Like what's the what's the worst case scenario? Well, not necessarily oh, well, worst case scenario, but what's the sort of highest point of intensity? Yeah, highest point of intensity for us is between seven pm and eleven pm at night. Uh, there's a lot of browsing going on uh, of our site during those hours. Uh, I, I do laugh. It's, we, we call it the two-screen um, scenario where we where we know that one half of a relationship is usually surfing car sales whilst on the couch, whilst the other half of the relationship is watching um, My Kitchen Rules or Married at First Sight or something along those lines. So we know that our traffic volumes um, are 11, 12, 13, 14 times higher uh, than during the day at, at between 7 and 11. Uh, the, the order of magnitude is huge. That and, is incredible. Um, 
Yeah, no, and it's and it's that it's that what four hour window uh, in the evening that's um, that we have to cater for that we have to we have to build our systems to deal with. Um, I mean, we have a good volume of traffic uh, throughout the day from our dealer network, from private customers selling their vehicles um, and buyers throughout the day. But it's that window between seven and eleven that we that we see the the highest volume of traffic. Yeah, and so hence hence the importance of of disaster recovery, but more more um, specifically business continuity, right? Yeah, and the ability to you know uh, identify when that uh, traffic is coming, and we we use auto scaling and all of that sort of stuff to handle it. Um, uh, but you know to identify when that traffic is is um, coming, and then actually um, scaling the systems up. But then it also deals with you know obviously the denial of service and 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 the ability to uh, to cope with um, you know whether whether it's uh, intentional denial of service or an unintentional denial of service because something's gone viral. Um, it's the ability to uh, quickly um, escalate the the capability of the systems without um, having to have hardware just sitting there idle ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah, and you you said you're with one provider. We we can we can allow, we can allow mm-hmm. we can we can we can comfortably. Um, do, uh, uh, disclose that it's AWS. Um, in the future, do you envisage, you know, having, um, you know, multiple cloud providers or, or not? Yeah, for us, the approach would be around what the services are that they offer. Uh, yeah. Like I say, we build cloud native, so we use the services that are available to us. Um, so we might see some, you know, image recognition might come out of Google, for instance, if they've got the um, more superior uh, option uh, for that for that purpose. So it fits the purpose. So we might we might end up using, uh, like I say, some some services from one provider and some services from another. Um, but it would we wouldn't we wouldn't go down the path of duplicating services in multiple providers. We're not. Um, yeah, yeah, we're not worried so much about that. Yeah, wonderful. Well, Jason, thanks so much for um, for, for taking us on that, that cloud journey with carsales.com.au um, and uh, look forward to having you back on the CIO show again soon. No worries. Thank you very much. We enable any organisation to use any technology. We help all companies become technology companies, protecting the identity of both workforces and customers. Connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time. Okta, one trusted platform to secure every identity in your organisation. Joining us now are three extremely experienced and respected enterprise technology and cloud experts from IT services consultancy NCS. We have Simon Kay, Chris Fleischman and Andre Conti all having held roles at large organizations from AWS, Microsoft, Accenture, Oracle, IBM, CSC. Gentlemen, welcome to the CIO show. Thank you. Thanks. Nice nice yeah, thank you, David. Great, guys. Look, on this topic of, of going all in with the cloud, I mean, AMP made um, you know quite a bit of noise and, and a lot of headlines earlier in the year when it announced it was, it was pushing everything to the cloud. Um, I'm just wondering, first up, what what do we think about that? I mean, was that, this is almost a milestone for the cloud in Australia. But I mean, what does that really mean, and what do we think about those kind of announcements? So, 
I saw this announcement and I was always interested because uh, knowing AMP, they've been on this cloud journey for like four or five years or as long as I've I've known them or been in contact with them, they've been on this journey for five, six years now. <clears throat> so it, it's, it's a, it's a multi-year journey for them and for any other large company that's been in business for decades. Yeah. And yeah. therefore, you know, there is a lot of IT systems that have been built over many, many years in traditional data centers. And let's, uh, you know, remind ourselves that, you know, public cloud from starting with AWS in, I think, in 2006, and it's just turning basically 15 years old and really starting to mature in the last five, six years, basically. Mm. So, you know, all, all kudos to AMP saying, you know, we're going to go all cloud and it's only cloud going forward, um, which I think many companies aspire to that. Yeah. Now, I think there is a more realistic, you know, middle ground there here that a lot of companies will take a, a more measured balance view in this. And mm. that's also something that NCS does is basically, you know, each application on its own merits needs to be, you know, that there is an assessment needs to be done where is the best place. Yeah. Um, you know, some companies says we're going to be all cloud. And I think it's more like a more like a mission statement, more yeah. than, you know, a real short term objective, because, you know, there, there are still limitation in public cloud of things you <clears throat> you can do in public cloud. You know, typical example, you know, take a mainframe. Um, you won't find that in public cloud. So until recently you couldn't and the very few cloud that offer that so you know there, there is limitation to what a public cloud can do and also people have to keep in mind you know uh, vendor locking is also a thing that happens in in public cloud yes so you have to be locked in another vendors in public cloud for the next 10 years probably not yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's something to keep in mind as well so yeah so on, on the one hand you've got you know probably a situation whereby companies, particularly the large enterprises, are, are perhaps underestimating the amount of work and effort and skills also required to move from on-premise to the cloud. And also we're seeing organizations underestimate um, yeah, things like vendor lock-in, of course, as you mentioned, Andre, and and the potential sort of difficulties and, and costs and effort associated with reversing out of the cloud. Simon, you were going to comment on that. Well, look, in terms of, you know, a, lo a lot of companies decided to go all in, right, and, and sat somewhere between buyer's remorse and uh, buyer's remorse, con yeah. Yeah, concentration risk, right, and, mm. and thinking about is is one cloud or all in cloud the right option, right, mm. and how do I actually inoculate myself from things that may happen, right, maybe legislation changes, maybe talent pool changes, maybe a whole host of different things, right, regulatory requirements. So. You know, they're trending more towards multi-cloud or even, you know, the, the hybrid cloud, right? And yeah. recognizing that environments in their data center can't easily shift or the services to shift them are available, but mm. quite early stage, right? Like, like Andre said, around mainframes and other things, right? So it's a multi-year journey, but it's a multi-year sort of talent shift as well, right? Mm. Um, and for a long period of time, you're going to have people in both camps, right? Traditional IT and you know, first party cloud service sort of led IT, right? Which is a, a very delicate balance for a customer, right? Especially ones that are tied to an outsourcer maybe or, or tied to, you know, their own IT departments, right? So they've got to, they've got to solicit specialist help around elements of that journey, right? Yeah. 
And yeah. I, I, love, I love, we were talking recently about this, and this is sort of kind of what we were referring to at the beginning, but you know, I'm really interested in this kind of concept of, of the new legacy. I don't think people are sort of, you know, thinking deeply enough about that. Yeah, look, David, Chris here. Um, you know, it is one thing that companies are starting to consider. You know, when there was one public cloud provider, AWS, in a lot of countries uh, first for a long time before other cloud providers came, a lot of customers started digging deep into that one cloud provider. Mm. And as a consequence, perhaps, is when they've looked at commercial arbitrage and other reasons, uh, you know, it might make more sense to look at a multi-cloud vendor approach or perhaps look at a different public cloud provider. And when they've moved up the value chain of first party services, it's not always as easy as they were thinking originally to move or pivot uh, to another cloud or to a new cloud. And so some more mature customers uh, that have been on this journey for quite some years now and are looking at more than one cloud provider as their destination of choice are starting to introduce what's called technical debt into their project services. Yes, yes. And so they're, they're starting to think about what does it cost to reverse out of this particular technology. Now, of course, there's benefits and reasons that you choose a particular technology and you move up the value chain, and there's still good reasons to do so, but uh, a lot of project teams and a lot of engineering disciplined companies now are, are sort of starting to bake into their costs of uh, you know their total project to reverse out of that particular cloud provider. It, it gives them more freedom and, and helps the business and commercial risk uh, team uh, if they need to pivot at a later stage. Yes, and, and Andre, you and I were speaking recently about, um, and you referred to them as an insurance company, potentially in Australia, I can't remember, that had um, had gone very aggressively with, with um, a move to the cloud and only to discover that there were a lot of things that, that weren't operating properly and a lot of other issues with that deployment causing them to seek you know advice as, as in terms of repatriating data back on premise yeah absolutely i mean and there have been multiple examples of multiple companies saying you know we're gonna we're gonna put our toes in the water we're gonna move an application and learn through it but basically some of them have kind of been bitten by um you know the things that you don't know when you move to cloud in terms of like, hey, it's very easy to provision things and, you know, auto scaling and, you know, how easy it is to provision new storage or how fast the storage can grow. And some of the limitation you had when you were in your traditional data center, which is capacity. <laughs> and therefore, you know, the, the rigor you had to, to put into managing that capacity in your data center because you knew that ordering a new, you know, storage rack is potentially a three months exercise when that additional storage in cloud is can be provisioned in minutes therefore mm -hmm. you remove that that constraints and suddenly you've got um, you know unforeseen costs coming your way and yeah there's been company that's realized that you know they couldn't sustain keeping the application in public cloud because the cost was too high now you can say you know it was badly architected they didn't use a cloud native solution, they should put more governance. But these are all the things that people need to understand when moving to cloud is that you need to have the skills, you need to put the right process, you need to put the right governance around it. And you need to know, find your way around using the right cloud services. Um, kind of, I would say, you know, the, the biggest mistake people do is like, you know, treat the public cloud as, as your as your data center and architect it the same way. Um, you know, you're not going to get the benefits, but you're going to get all the, the drawbacks of public cloud if you do that. So yeah, um, people had some remorse, uh, but I guess through that exercise they learned 
And next time they go there, they're just a bit more cautious about what they need to do, kind of build a foundation before you move the you move the first floor into into a new place. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, things like privacy laws um, are not set in stone either. And, you know, there's no there's no telling, for instance, hypothetically, you know, when and whether a, a government or Australian government um, may make changes that affect how organisations um store and, and deal with data and that could you know, that that in itself could have big implications for companies that have moved everything to the cloud no absolutely on that point i think you know various companies even very large size have been caught into how easy it is to you know put data into the cloud and and leave a door open <laughs> you know many years ago you know large si got caught and was in the press by having you know a, the typical what they call S3 bucket, you know, yeah. open to the internet and having some file with some customer logins, uh, information, you know, available. And it's so easily done, those kind of mistakes. Yeah. Uh, but you're right, I think the regulation can change too. Uh, but also what is interesting in some some of the cloud providers and typically AWS, you know, you know, a few years ago, they, they they decided Amazon decided to you know start being a retailer in yeah. uh, in Australia, and yeah. suddenly you had multiple you know your classic retailer in Australia who had built some solution and they were saying, ah, I need to come out of that because this is I'm I'm giving business to competition. Yeah. So you never know. So you, you need you know you need to be flexible in your in in I your think, technical choices. Yeah. I think so, if you look at legislation and privacy, right? Yeah. At a global level, if you're not well connected as a customer to what's happening at a global level in that space, you need to do you do need to seek help, right? Because that is really a leading indicator of where our policy will end up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in various forms, right? So Europe, North America, you know. So from that perspective, you know, a lot of companies aren't that well connected, right? So that, that they do need to get help and insight from what's happening in and around the globe, right, in terms of privacy uh, legislation or privacy policy or potential changes to that, right, and see whether that has a knock-on impact to, to what you've got, right? Yeah. Uh, David, on the back of, you know, legislation and things, I mean, one thing that Andre was highlighting before is when you move from a data centre to cloud, you typically don't just lift and shift your current architecture that you spent 30 years building in your data center to cloud and then get all the benefits. So that's that's definitely something that Andre was mentioning and, and resonates a lot with our customers. One thing though that customers need to be aware of, and this is more of an education thing, is once you move to cloud, you, you sort of start changing your security paradigm. You sort of build from the inside out. It's not so much about protecting your edge anymore. It's about sort of starting from the inside and, and working outward and securing as you build. And, and hopefully with the right teams, the right procedures, the right policies and risk profile, you build in, in all of that and you create that uh, steady state run or foundation platform for the different compliance or different regulators around the world. Mm. And some of these experiences are if customers build those foundations right, they get a lot more longevity out of it as opposed to a quick and nasty lift and shift and exit your data center and try to get the benefits and then you know reverse out of that sometime later and so we're getting definitely customers in australia now that have embarked on that more mature journey which yep. is trying to get their foundations right work with the regulators 
you know, not come to a surprise at the end of the day and say to the regulator, hey, I've got this new workload, and they're saying, well, how did you protect it, etc. So lots of learning across our customers in Australia, lots of learning from different SIs and how the vendors overall engage these customers. Yep. You know, it used to be that uh, lighting a fire in the customer was a good idea where you could stand up a new application and say, hey, look at this. It's really quick. It's easy. You don't have to worry about IT. You know, the true answer now is, is working with the IT organization, working with what was shadow IT now becomes the new IT with the business. And customers that have done it well, you know, they actually leverage these cloud providers, leverage the tools and the technologies to actually enter new markets that they perhaps didn't have in their pr previous data center. So that's that's definitely the new theme. And, and as customers are embarking on uh, their cloud journeys, and, and it's a continuum, I don't think there's ever a finish to this, no. that you actually start learning new technologies, new tools, as long as you understand sort of the higher value services and sort of the potential lock-in that you might get. Yeah. As long as you build your platform around that and understand the risks, I think there's a lot of opportunity for customers to embark on that public cloud or journey to cloud story that uh, is highly popularized in the market. And look, I continually tell customers to build for change. Yeah. Inoculate yourself from policy risk and regulatory risk, but also understand your attack surface is now the perimeter of users and people, right? Not yeah. data center walls anymore, right? And if you think like that, and, and like Chris said, operate and design from there outwards, you, you'll get a 90% fit, right? And you'll work out how to deal with the other 10%, right? As, a, as an operational evolution. <laughs> so, but if you do it the other way, you know, going back and changing things is infinitely hard, right? Indeed. I wonder what you think about, sorry guys, I wonder what you think about this, that it's, it seems to me as though, you know, on the one hand, we can accept that there's uh, an understandable gap in technical understanding and knowledge between CIOs and the rest of the C-suite. And I'm wondering whether what's happening, what's happened with the cloud, the way it's been marketed and, and, and very successfully so, as largely a panacea, how do you reduce your costs? I wonder what you all think about, you know, CIOs being under more and more pressure from the others in, in the C-suite, namely CEOs and CFOs, um, to move to the cloud, but you know, not necessarily by people that really understand all the nuances of doing so. Yeah, I think it becomes an answer shopping for a question, right? So, yeah, yeah. so cloud isn't necessarily a default answer to everything. Right? Mm. What it allows a company to do on its journey to digitization and, and serving its constituents or customers better it is amazing, right? Yeah. But it has become this vogue term that sort of sets a benchmark of who's you know, got excellent control of their operations or um, is looking to not have, you know, be on the front page of the paper of having IT cost blowouts and all those kind of things, right? Yeah. So it's become a little bit, uh, there is a bit of a deficit between the CIO and the rest of the C-suite and, mm -hmm. and even to the board level yeah. in terms of understanding. But if they truly take that digital transformation viewpoint and work backwards with what they're trying to do from an ambition perspective, mm. um, they'll be the ones that yield the best benefit, right, in the shortest amount of time. The ones that are really focused on shutting data centers, cutting costs, doing this. Yeah, very valid, valid reason, right? Mm. But it's going to be less towards the transformation side of enterprise business and, and serving customers than they would hope, uh, at least in the near term, right? Yeah. 
Just on the back of that, David, um, and Simon's right, I think if you work with what has happened in the recent years is a lot of the public cloud providers have worked very well with the marketing offices across the company. You know, that quick to market, quick to speed, launch a new application and kind of forgotten the CIO and their organisation. You know, yeah. fast forward fast yeah. forward a few years and now the, the utopia is where the marketing officer is working with the CIO organisation and together they're kind of on a mission statement to move applications at speed to cloud yeah. but also to innovate new themes and new technologies and look at what other cloud providers are offering that actually helps accelerate that and i think the ceo to start answering sort of some of that question is you know when the marketing offices and when the cio organization are all humming into the same beat you know the ceo actually starts seeing uh you know movement in the market starts starts seeing the leverage that the cio organization is delivering and while Simon is right in that, you can exit the data center and, and that was the previous generation of, of what the CIO's mantra was. Mm. Working with the marketing team and working with new applications and actually really discovering what you need from your applications is where really people start to benefit and the organizations actually start pivoting and get value out of public cloud. Mm. Yeah. yeah. There's also this fear, right, of, of everybody's fear of disruption, right? Mm. And I think they should also have an equal opposing view and be fear f fearful of incumbency, right? Yeah. So, so don't worry so much about disruption at the first point, but worry about what does incumbency really mean to you, and and how could you be better already with what you know and what's available to you? And this is where sort of that, you know, being being more mindful of the data assets that you have and. You know, if you put them in cloud and do something meaningful with it, you might actually know what the next best offer for a customer is or yeah. a way to better how you serve your customers without having to be disrupted, right? And, yeah. and be the one that is actually disrupting yourself mm. towards a better business model. Right? Yeah, and just to add to this, I mean, coming back to the beginning of the discussion, David, when you say, you know, some companies like AMP said we're all in cloud, I think the fine print is more like, all new applications, all new functionality, you know, the first um, platform to consider would be public cloud. And mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely the right thing to do um, because public cloud allows you, you know, the agility, the speed. Now, the other part is also, you know, if you, people have gathered over many, many years, you know, a lot of data in the traditional data center, how do you monetize that data? And, you know, public cloud is a great place for that, you know, you, you build some APIs, you you know present that data, you put some some and there is value in that data that people have you know large companies have, have gathered over many years. So, you know there is new ways to actually for businesses to to generate new revenue stream and public cloud is great for that. You put yeah. that in the public cloud, open the access, have some APIs, people start consuming your services and your data, and and public cloud is is ideal for that. You don't want to you know. Um, to have the data inside your data center to be accessed by, you know, thousands and thousands of other companies. You want to put that data in public cloud, very easy to access. So I think, again, forces for courses with public cloud. I think new applications, certainly, you know, there is great services, SaaS solution, public cloud, um, and putting, you know, data that you want to monetize in your data, uh, that are residing in your data center, public cloud is great. It's a great use case as well. Yeah. Uh, what we always caution is like, you know, this modest statement, like I'm going to move everything to public cloud. Well, there's 
it's pros and cons in doing that, but also there is a lot of cost in doing that. So a business case is always important to do. Yeah, well, it certainly seems as though the the cloud has been a shiny new thing for for many years for for enterprises, and that we we seem to be moving into a a new um, stage of maturity. I don't know whether it's cloud one hundred one or or two Gentlemen, thanks so much for for joining me on the, on the CIO show, and we look forward to having you all back on again soon. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. Now, the CIO show is now moving to a fortnightly schedule as I and the rest of the team put our heads down to work on some exciting new content, both for the podcast and online. Watch this space. Hope to have you tuned back into the show in two weeks' time when we'll be discussing AI and ethics, finding the right balance between what could be done with AI and what should be done. is critical for CIOs and organizations as the issue of ethics in AI becomes an increasingly mainstream discussion. In our Top Tech Predictions for 2021 podcast aired in January, one of the biggest tech trends analysts see building steam this year is that CIOs and organizations and vendors will stop talking about AI so much as it should be assumed only the most digitally backward will not deploy the technology in some way. If the analysts are right, that's a lot of organizations that now need to sit down and think seriously about developing a proper ethical framework for AI and machine learning as the risk of not doing so loom larger. In this episode, we'll talk to analysts and leading CIOs working with AI to get their perspectives on ethics, including how they're applying the federal government's eight AI ethics principles to ensure their best values are properly reflected. We hope you can join us.